Welcome to Life on Pause, a podcast defining the experience of being a young adult with cancer. Each episode, we explore issues impacting young adults in and after treatment. Like what you hear? Have something to add? Come join us for next month's recording, the third Tuesday at 6 p.m. This is Life on Pause at Greta Glenn. We're talking about scars today. And here's our stories. All righty. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I wanted to share a little bit about one of my scar stories today. I was diagnosed last summer and I'm in remission, yay. But I have the particular scar, like some other cancer patients do, of my port scar on my chest. When I first got the port put in, I was told that it was going to be a life-changing, gritted good for treatment. I'm a hard stick, so they needed to be able to get the medicine in me very easily. I'm very grateful that recently I had my port taken out. And I know right now that I kind of will take a look at it. And just looking at the scar is really a reminder to all the, all of the work that everyone has helped me with get, getting through cancer. But uh, taking a look at it now, it looks and it feels a lot different than when I first saw that ragged scar on my chest, which was just very discolored and, and very, very shocking. Now I take a look at it and it's healing and it'll still be there. But I think honestly, to me, it's kind of the representation maybe of how I know how I feel about it, but I'm a little bit different, a little bit changed, but I'm still here and I'm still me. So that's my story. Lauren, I have a question. Yeah. Have you, have you considered for lighter moments when you don't maybe want to delve into the whole reason as to why you have the scar? Have you come up with like alternate joke stories that might just quickly brush off a conversation if you don't want to dive deep into that? Oh man, I'm glad, I'm glad you said, you asked that. Just recently, because it's getting summer now, I was wearing like a t-shirt that has like a scoop in the front and you can kind of see the scar. Some dude was just very like, he was like, oh, what did you do? Was your cat scratchy or something? And I took a, I took a look at him and I gave him a, I was a straight, I gave him a, no cancer. And the guy turned white as a sheet. And I was like, and that's what you get for talking about random personal things to strangers. But on a lighter side, yeah, I'm trying to think of something because I'm not a very like adventuresome person. Maybe I haven't thought about it, but I have to think about a good way to say when someone asks what it is. So yeah, I haven't I haven't thought of one yet, but I'm looking for tips. So okay, <laughs> ooh yeah, r- r- running with the bulls. So I don't have a port scar; I have a catheter scar, so it's a lot tinier. It's like it's that. It's literally like you can run your finger over it, and it just looks like red or white scarred mole, kind of. But actually, like it's so almost unnoticeable. I don't really ever have to hide it when I wear like scoops or like dresses that show it off but almost nobody ever asks about it but it's funny that we're doing this recording because i was out with my friend krista last week with her friend her two friends and we were kind of busting each other's chops and the one turned to me and was like what is that your third nipple and i was like wow that's actually like really funny and krista came to my rescue and was like no you butt crack that's (laughs) that's from her cancer and then the guy felt really, really bad after that. <laughs> <laughs> Little awkward silence crickets in the background. But I think that will be my excuse if anybody ever asks, what is that? It is my third nipple. Because <laughs> it is a possible thing. I think one of my stories about the scar kind of aspect, like you said, Casey, as far as making a joke out of it. So I have some, some stretch marks on my back from ascites from some of the steroids and fluid in my stomach when I was going through treatment. And I always tell people that I get bit by a shark and then we're at the beach, obviously, sometimes and, and they take a laugh out of it. But I think it's 
really making those conversations lighthearted and obviously feeling sympathetic in a way for people asking, but also being open to sharing, you know, why exactly that you have those scars. I think little kids, a lot of times, if they'll see scars, they, they'll either stare at them or they'll say something that can be kind of not hurtful, but sometimes you don't know how to react to little kids because they never mean anything bad or have bad intentions. So I'm wondering if anyone has like an experience with that or how do you deal with it when little kids ask? I know there was one time I have a bunch of scars all over my body and there was one time I, I forget that they're a part of my body. I've had them for so long. I went on some kind of like swimming tubing vacation thing and I noticed these this group of little kids just staring at my body and I felt so uncomfortable and I was also at an age when you feel like insecure about your body and I just felt like terrible and I wasn't in the right mindset to you know think like they just have never seen scars like this on someone's body they don't know how to react but yeah I, w- I was wondering if anyone else has experience with little kids who either give you funny looks or say something to you that really shows how innocent they are. A lot of times I kind of chuckle and laugh at it. But I would do the same thing where I kind of use humor to get around it. Like first it'd be like, you think this is bad, you see the other guy. So I had a tumor in my chest, so I did open heart. So my scar is like nine and a half inches. So it's a very, it's a very noticeable scar. So yeah, it's not like some little fourth scar like some people. <laughs> <laughs> it's very noticeable. No, I'm not, not blowing one out, I'm not blowing one out. No, you know, it's just, it's real. <laughs> I remember when we were in the pediatric, some of the younger kids was funny. They had scars too because they had tumors removed. So I don't know why, but it became a competition. Had the longest scar in a way. <laughs> I hate the kids are gone now. So like a lot of time my guy friends they mention about how long is the scar. It's actually nine and a half inches. And being being a guy, that's not the only thing that I have that's over nine inches. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But a lot of times when I was really young, see, I, I was just seeing in high school. I had the cancer. I was kind of viral mode. So the goal was like, hey, I gotta get through this chemo. I gotta get the surgery. So I didn't think much about it. It wasn't until like life after cancer that I realized. Oh, I got this really big scar on my chest. I had to look at this every day in the mirror every morning until the day I eventually die. So then it really irked me for a while. I went through that period where I was really like um, a little insecure where people see. I knew it's going to like um, the pool or wherever the beach. I knew it's people look at it. So for a while, it's kind of like maybe more of a victim where I was a little defenseless. And so now when people do see my scar, rather than being that victim, I realize, oh, I'm more of a survivor. I can kind of put a story behind the scar. I kind of define it myself. So now when people ask about it, I tell them, hey, I actually had to do 10 rounds of chemotherapy, beat cancer. So that's why I'm still here. You want to hear about that story, I'm, I'm happy to tell you. So in a way, I kind of gave more of a, a meaning behind that story. So I sort of define it myself. So that gives me a little more strength. So this morning, the pool, I started telling my story and someone laughed at it, but I'm kidding. But no, I always, like, a lot of people say it's good to use humor because humor is the best medicine. But yeah, in a way, I learned to, for my scars, I learned to define my scars in a way. So. You could always tell them, too, this is what happens when you don't eat your vegetables. <laughs> no, I, I have to jump on that train because when I was bald, little kids always, like, being at the pool, like, what happened to your hair? Or, like, Mommy, why does she bald? Like, and Mom, would just, Mom wouldn't know what to say. Just be like, oh, she's like Daddy. Like, they didn't have the answer for it. So they would try to just, like, play along with the kid. And I would always go, like, it's okay. It's totally fine. It doesn't bother me. Like, I would be the same if I was five years old. And I would look at them and I would be like, I didn't eat my vegetables and my hair fell out. And I would tell every little kid that because I went through treatment primarily through the summer. So we were outdoors a lot. Little kids always. And that's what I came up with to respond to that because it kind of used humor and made the parents feel better. And it made me not feel awkward or like ashamed of the position. Anyone else get called out by children? Oh, my goodness. When I when I was bald, for the most part, kind of just rocked it because at that point I was like, 
I get really hot really fast. So like I would try to wear a wig, would have a head covering, everything like that. But I just remember when I finally, the first time I finally left the house after like my first chemo, I went for a walk just to like with my husband to kind of just like get out of the house, get some air, whatever, I'm walking. And there's this little kid who was walking with his parents and he just dead stopped and looked right at me. His eyes got big and I was like, hey there, buddy. And he's just like, <gasps> and I was like, what's up? And he's just like, and his mom was looking at me like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. In a way, it was kind of really innocent and really kind of, I had this moment where I was like, I couldn't be upset because it was just one of those moments where it's like, okay, he's never seen this before. And that innocence of him not having seen something like this and that kind of, in a way, it kind of was like the, oh, I wish I was back like that, where that would just be this thing where I'm just like one of the craziest things he's seen. But I just remember like waving at him and Later on, I keep be walking it later on down my treatment would just be looking around, like looking for me. And it was just really, really cute. It was definitely one of those where I had to shift my perspective, because if not, I'm just like, yeah, come and stare at the bald lady, you know. When little kids mention something, I kind of mentioned earlier they're innocent. So to me, it's more out of curiosity. It's weirder when it's like adults or peers my age when they say stuff where I kind of expect them to be a little more mature. I had a friend's mom and she mentioned about the scars on my body. I lost my hair, too. She would mention a lot about it. It was really weird how she always bring attention to it. It's almost like a sore bum. And wait, it probably was hard for her to kind of step see someone going through that. And it was odd her remark one time was, oh, you know, you got those scars, but you're really lucky you didn't die from cancer. And I kind of took his like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because it's kind of weird, like that survivor's guilt you get. Like, how is anyone lucky to have cancer? And in the back of my head, I didn't say it. But I was thinking, well, look how lucky you are. You never had cancer yourself. So in a way, I kind of like learned to be a little more mature. But I was kind of wondering, does anyone else have that where you have like people say remarks or comments you just don't? you don't agree with or you feel it goes against, you just don't, they don't understand what you're going through. They like the empathy. For sure. I think being the friend of somebody who's going through cancer, people get very comfortable asking you certain questions and you're like, how am I supposed to answer these? You know, I've seen her struggle through things and I've seen her be successful in treatments and things like that. And people are just oblivious to exactly what's going on and have no idea what the best way to go about it is. So things like living in a small town and you go in the grocery store and somebody's like, oh, I saw a picture of Emily on Facebook the other day. It looked like she got attacked by a bear, all the scars and stuff. And yep, well, that's what cancer can do to you. This all kind of reminds me. So when I was in college, this is Kayla, by the way. I don't know. I think I was in class and I was talking to one of my friends and I was talking about cancer stuff because like they all knew and everything. And I was sitting next to this girl and she's like, oh, you didn't have cancer. There's no way. And I was like, I did. She's like, no, you didn't. So what I did was I pulled my shirt down and I was like, you see this scar? That's the port. OK, I had cancer. And she's like, uh, I don't think so. And I was like, do you want me to show you the other scars? Do you want me to show you the pictures? Like I was like getting so worked up in the middle of class. And I think the scar to me was like a way to like prove. But like, I don't know. I don't know why I felt I had to prove it. But like, I think it's just a part of me that like, it just sucks when people don't believe you. And it's not the first time that's happened. But usually, like, my family would be around. Like, there was, I was at youth group when I was younger or something. I think it was, like, my senior year of high school. And some kid was like, there's no way you had cancer. And I looked at my mom and was like, Mom, please explain to this idiot that I had cancer. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, you, she had cancer. Like, and everybody there knew. And I was like, I think the scar is a way to help prove what I already know. Yeah, sometimes I wonder, like, when people, like, on the outside, because people hear about cancer, but when they actually meet someone who had cancer, they kind of go in this weird, like, um, unconscious state of denial where they can't, they can't believe that someone else has cancer. That makes it harder for people like us sometimes to find that someone to relate to. Um, you guys agree with that? Or 
because I know like we right now we're kind of with friends, we laugh and giggle, but it's like there's times I know people say use humor, but there's also moments where I'm really real with myself. I say, hey, having cancer really, really sucked. <laughs> and I, I feel like it's good to be honest, just okay to pity yourself, just let the emotions out, not dwell on it, but just let it out. So I don't know if you guys have those moments too, because there's days where I would just lay on the couch and be like, hey, this really sucks. This is Haley speaking as Casey's girlfriend, but because Casey now has his hair back and I feel like looks back to normal, you know, isn't the big steroid bloated self that he once was. I think a lot of people forget that he's actively going through treatment right now just because he looks normal. And a lot of people will be like, well, why can't you do this thing? Or why can't you go out to a bar with us? Or why can't you do X, Y, and Z? And I almost feel like that scar is a reminder of all of the pain and the change and the growth that he went through, we went through as a couple, you know, we went through with all of our friends. And I personally, I mean, I like to see the scar because it just reminds me of everything that we've gone through to this day to be at the space that we're at right now, which is a good space and an almost done space. So, but I agree, people just don't realize. And I feel like the scar is almost a reminder of, hey, this person went through a lot and they're now different and a better person for it. It's almost like COVID in a way. You know, it's like this kind of out of, out of this world nonsense that until it's right in front of you and people are dealing with it, you're like, oh my gosh, this really is a serious thing. I think cancer is the exact same. You know, people hear about it every single day. They read books about it. They see teen romance movies about it. But when it's in real life, it's like, crap, that sucks. And it changes you as a person forever. You can't not then be somebody who has gone through cancer and survived it. It's for sure something that has like built you into the person you are. It sounds like a lot of you are saying that your scars are like a confirmation kind of to what you've been through, like a physical confirmation that you can see when there's also a lot of underlying psychological scars that nobody can see, that everybody carries, and not just the survivor, but the family and friends too. It's almost like people can more understand when they see a physical scar than the idea that from the moment that you were told that you had cancer, your life has changed and there's no going back to how it was before. Now you can do as much as you can, but there's a way of like, you know, your life is different now and it always will be. And for and it can be some great things that happen because of it too. It doesn't mean it's it's super bad, but there's just that level of like, yeah. So people have a hard time with that. I think when my hair started to come back, when I went back to work, when I started to look normal, quote unquote normal, again, there was this level of like the, okay, she's good now. Let's move on to something else. And it's like, no, it doesn't go away. You know, you being, being a cancer patient doesn't go away. Luckily, you think about it less and less as time goes on and you can live your life, but it doesn't go away. I never looked at, thought of it that way, but the idea of having that physical scar, maybe even like a grounding type of thing. Like so you remember where you were and what you've seen and uh, even going forward. I think to go off that, Lauren, as well, that our society does a very good job at celebrating when the bell rings, but not what happens after. And I think that's a big thing that we all need to continue to raise awareness and focus on is, well, what happens after we're done our treatments and what happens after here and there? And I think one of our collective scars together, obviously, is that emotional and, and mental aspect of, well, we're dealing with this, you know, it's in the spotlight, everybody's there for us well, then everybody kind of falls off. So it's kind of just that collective whole of trying to continue to raise awareness and focus on how we can have that collective support for individuals who need it after the bell rings or they complete treatment. I think that's like a really strong point that you point out, Brady, the after treatment. Because I remember distinctively meeting with my oncologist on the end of my last cycle. 
I thought we were going to be celebrating. And he like looked at me very seriously and was like, the hardest part starts now. Like you were busting it out this whole time. You were focused on treatment and getting better. But now that the cancer's gone, you have to focus back on getting your life back and the shock. Because kind of when you're in the moment, like you're shell shocked, you don't really feel anything because you have to, you just have to focus on surviving and then you finish. And for me, the hardest part of cancer was when I was in remission. The psychological like depression that followed after treatment was worse than any of the chemo that I went through. And nothing prepared me for that except for when my doctor like warned me that it was going to come. And for the first few months, I felt great. I was done treatment. And then after that, I felt like a completely different human when I actually came to terms with what happened. And I looked in the mirror every day at my body, slowly getting a strength back. I think the trauma that follows cancer treatment is a lot harder than the treatment itself sometimes and a lot more unspoken for. And I know everybody at this table can speak on behalf of that too. Kind of why we're here right now. <laughs> Doing things like this helps process some of that with peers that have experienced it like you. I think also to bounce off that, you know, Lexi, we're at a point now where we're very fortunate that we're curing a lot of cancers, but not necessarily curing the whole person, um, which is, you know, another reason why we're here today is to continue to raise that kind of awareness and just be honest and upfront. And I'm glad that your doctor brought that up to you because I don't think as many doctors really know nor have the resources or knowledge to fully embrace that kind of whole body person. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. I was going to say the weird thing about like the scars that I feel like I I worried so much about what they were going to look like. But then by the time I had them, like I just didn't even think about them because I was so focused like on treatment and stuff that it kind of was a blur. I would say that I, I didn't focus on the scars until like after I was, you know, in remission. I feel like the scars is something that like you heal with like after you start getting better. Yeah, I mean, all good points. Um, I'm talking to a lot of us here, we can all agree that cancer is very um, life-changing. We're all suffering. And somebody I learned, like, we might lose things ourselves, and we also might see other people not be as fortunate. So somebody I learned was that kind of grief never really ends. It only changes shape. So I think we talked about that celebration. We hit that five-year mark. A lot of people think that celebration is like a finish line. To me, it's more like a moment of humility, really, realizing what you went through. And it's trying to understand, what's life next now? Like, what do I do now? Like, how do I keep moving forward? And we talk about like, all the scars you have. We don't realize how deep the psychological scars are. And something I kind of learned is that emotions don't make sense, but they're, very, they're real, though. And that's the hard part, trying to understand that. There were a lot of things that were just discussed that made me really think about... Some people said they were worried about the scars when they were first happening. But for my own experience, as I was collecting these scars, like I wasn't really thinking about it. I think my first scar, I was really worried about how it would look and everything. but then. After that, they kind of just became a collection. And when I was dealing with my cancer, I was seeing so much happen to the patients around me that was really upsetting. You know, once the whole thing was done, as Lexi said, it was like the really difficult part started and I started processing everything. And it was for the first year, you know, I had these new scars on my body for the first year after treatment and it was coming to acknowledge them, but also it really felt like I was mentally scarred. Like I would have these visions of exactly what I saw in the hospital. I'd be walking through a hallway at school and it would turn into a hospital wing. And I would have nightmares where like I would re-see different people suffering that I saw throughout my treatment. And I think, you know, that that qualified as PTSD at the time. And I think a lot of survivors go through that. 
Um, And again, we don't really talk about it, but it's a very real part of going through cancer treatment and then also the scars that we talk about because there are mental scars from that that I will never recover from. And I think that everyone can kind of agree about that. Mine wasn't the visually seeing the hospital, but I'm a very like sensory. At some point I was drinking ginger ale after treatments. I can't even stomach the smell of ginger anymore and also the saline. Even if I go in for something routine now, the minute that I smell or these things, I get nauseous and it's this triggered response of remembering and I get really freaked out. So it, it's it's still something that, that carries with me today. And it wasn't the visual like your, but mine was definitely like the sensory and the smell and right back there every single time. And I don't know, don't know if that will change. I think that's just something that I have to have to deal with as well. For me, it was the sounds, mostly children crying, screaming. I have nightmares about them. Sometimes close my eyes, still hear it. Kind of sucks. Well, it doesn't kind of suck. It does suck. I also hate commercials about bald children. And it just takes me back to a place that I don't really want to go back to. It's really nice that everybody else kind of understands. I don't think I'm ever going to get out of this. Sometimes, like, just this feeling, uh, the memories. And it's nice to have other people that understand. I think a lot of us are discussing a lot of psychological scars right now. And the nightmares, definitely. I know earlier today, I forgot Megan's name, but I actually had a dream after I finished treatment and Megan was in it. And it was when I returned to school and I was trying to get my life back together. And Megan was actually, I know Megan because she would do rounds with the team that did rounds on me while I was in treatment. And I had a nightmare that I had a relapse nightmare, which I'm sure many people have had. And Megan was the one that told me that I had relapsed and now I was terminal and I woke up sweating and sobbing. And I had never, I've never woken up from a nightmare like that. Sorry, Megan. (laughs) I'm sorry to upset you. But it's just stuff like that. And like still have dreams now, but not as frequently. But in just like in the recovery phase and remission, I would have relapse nightmares at least once a week. And I would wake up freaking out that I have to start chemo again or I have to, I have to go back to the hospital and stuff like that. And just reliving that through your own emotions and your brain, your subconscious, focusing on that when you're resting and recovering and just little things like that. I have a in particular scar from my friend Emily, (laughs) who at the time with encephalitis being caused from the cancer had no idea what the heck was going on. But I knew everything. (laughs) So that was maybe, I don't know how the tables have turned kind of situation. I have a mental scar. I don't have dreams of it all that often, but every now and again, we just bring it up to kind of, I don't know, soothe the waters, calm the waves of just everything that the situation has been. But there was one moment where (laughs) I had to leave for work. I had spent the night with her in the hospital after doing some of her chemo treatments and had a great night. She went to bed knowing exactly who I was, what was going on, and woke up thinking that she was working at the bank and trying to sell me a a checking account. (laughs) And um, (laughs) so, of course, I freaked out. But at the same time, I had to get to work. So I had to leave her there and had very much felt the guilt of just like not being able to be there for your friends and not having control of the situation and how to like help them out in such an uncontrollable like scenario. And of course, she felt the need to yell at me and say, don't leave me. Don't leave me here. So it got um, very intense. And I was just about shaking as I left the room. I was like, what are they doing to her? (laughs) Those are some scars as well for some people who 
have just witnessed it, but I can't imagine having to carry it every day. There are days where it doesn't even come to my mind. This is, I've been around it or things like that, but it's not my everyday life. There's definitely a barrier. That's actually a really good um, segue, I think. So I'm curious, I know we have a lot of cancer survivors, but I'm curious with people who aren't, who are not the can who don't have cancer, but they're kind of like friends or loved ones or um, like a relationship. Because I know for me, it would start going through it, but I can only imagine how hard it was for my sister, but she would come see me suffering. And she was there for me, but she really, she told me one time that like, she felt so helpless. There, she'd watch me going through the chemo, being sick with the dog every day. And there she was, she just couldn't really do much. So I'm kind of curious from other people. There are times you felt like helpless or you couldn't do anything and you wanted to carry their pain, but you, you kind of just had to stay on the sidelines. Is that yeah. hard for other people here? I was moving back and forth from Ohio. I had an Ohio contract and she was at Hershey and just having to do like plane rides back and forth. And I was about to quit my job and I was just going to go home, stay on the couch and just go to the hospital every single day. I was like, how can I not be there? But then at the same time, I'm like, Em knew what was going on. <laughs> she would just kind of slap me silly. Like, what the heck are you doing? Why are you here? Why are you not out there working, doing what you want to do? Things like that. But it just gets to a point like lots of mental breakdowns and things like that, but you just kind of pull up your boots by the straps and you get kicking. <laughs> you have to put on a, a smiley face and a lot of it is acting. And then like for M, she kind of came out of it and was like, I don't even remember what was happening. So a lot of the stories about her cancer journey are coming from other people, which call it a blessing or a curse, but is difficult in ways and other ways it's like thank god i didn't have to like remember that <laughs> i'm anthony uh kayla's brother but for me i was just starting a new school like a seventh grader when i found out that my older sister had cancer i shut down i didn't even talk to her for a week because i had no idea like what to say or what to do and i think the only reason that i started talking to her again was because my parents made us sit down on the couch and Kayla was like, why are you not talking to me or whatever? Just like experiencing like and watching your sibling go through treatments and waking up in the middle of the night screaming or throwing up like all the time and like not feeling well, like seeing that just it really like makes you kind of have to grow up a little sooner than you want to. And we had a six year old sister at the time, too. And she like having to like tell her what's going on and like watching her go through that as well, like it kind of changes something in you. And now, you know how a lot of people like joke about cancer now? They're like, oh, that was like so cancerous or whatever. And like just as someone who's seen someone go through that, it kind of just makes you want to like just rip their head off. You're like, why are you joking about that? Like there are people like that I care about that went through that. And it kind of forces you to lose your innocence a little bit. And it kind of makes you have a short fuse for a lot of that stuff. I think it's like kind of hard too because it's like you're going through all of this stuff as well and then you have to watch your family go through it and be there for you and like it was really tough for us because my husband went through it twice when he was younger his brother had leukemia and he luckily he beat it he's still here he's doing really good but it was rough to go through it myself but then I'm worried in the back of my mind like what is he gonna do why does he have to go through this again and is he gonna stay and do it or it's just rough to watch your family go through it as well with you. I think it's hard to being the person who has just witnessed a loved one or a friend who has gone through it and just having to relate to other people, again, just who are witnesses. 
of like maybe a grandfather or grandmother had it, but having known someone who had it so young and sometimes that can be just like very rare. A lot of people are like, wait, wow, she was only 23. And I'm like, yes, but it's the fact that this happened, you know, it's not the age that brought it along, but it can, it can be hard, like finding other people to talk to about it and not going like straight to the source and being like, hey, you scarred me for life. <laughs> talk to me about it. <laughs> It's hard to find other people who have been through that same scenario. So I think that's like, this group is awesome. Just having like people around your same age and people who have witnessed some of the stuff that you've witnessed. I will echo that. This group is awesome, as well as the importance of finding people that have traveled a similar road. Of course, they haven't traveled your exact road. But as we wrap up this podcast recording, I'm wondering if we can maybe toss out some of the the lessons learned. We had a storytelling workshop earlier today, and part of stories is, what did we take away from them? So as we close this podcast, what do we take away from what we've heard each other share today? So my takeaway is the importance of finding your people. I know um, for me, bad things happen to good people, and and it stinks, and it does not make any sense, but at the same time, We find the people who we're meant to be with and share our experiences, and we're going to get through it. I'm Ben. I'm Bree's boyfriend. But someone said, I forget who, but during that workshop that they said, they often find themselves summing up their whole cancer journey. I was like, oh, I got cancer, and that's the climax. And as someone who sort of came into Bree's life after she had been through that, I wasn't there with her during those difficult experiences. I think for people who don't have firsthand experience with people going through treatment, it's something important to realize. Like it gets summed up a lot for maybe various reasons. People don't want to talk about that too often or too in depth, but it's not just, oh, cancer is the climax of that story. There's so many ebbs and flows and peaks. And I think that's something that I'm gonna like take with me from today and sort of realize that it's a much deeper thing to understand than just summing it up in those really easy to digest terms. The most important part I feel like is you hear other people say things and you're like, okay, I'm not a weirdo. I've had that happen. (laughs) I think something that I'm continuing to realize is that we often think of a scar as a physical object, but it's often emotional and mental. And the unfortunate part about that kind of scar is that it can change throughout our lives, but it's also a fortunate part as well. So I think for us to realize that all of our scars are there, but also recognize that they change throughout our lives. Building off of what Brady just said, I think the most important thing that we've discussed or digested today was just because the treatment's over doesn't mean the journey is. It's a circle, like uh, Maria said. Yeah, the journey is always continuing. I think for me, like, a lot was um, having cancer at a young age, because all my friends, I kind of think they're, um, they sort of this sense of mortality, but there's always be tomorrow. They're not worried about getting old. We're um, having something to your health at a young age. That makes us realize that our future is really uncertain, and we don't know what's going to happen to us tomorrow. I guess. I was talking to Kim one time, he told me, in theory, we could get struck by lane tomorrow. I guess I really learned to just live in the moment, have gratitude, and just appreciate what's around me. So in this moment, we're infinite. Also, just going to say that uh, if we put that much chemo in our bodies, the vaccine's definitely safe, so go get vaxxed. (laughs) (laughs) We're still here after all that chemo, so don't be afraid of a little jab. Okay, thank you for listening. Until next time, this was Life on Pause. 
Thanks for listening to Life on Pause. Ideas or suggestions for future episodes? Feel free to share them with us. Join us for the next recording on the third Tuesday of the month. Until Until next time. time.